it's your episode, so you have oh, to that's say right. Things. Hello, everybody. This is Kat. <laughs> and this is Crystal. <laughs> welcome, welcome. You got me again this week because of my three-parter. Yes, and I'm ready because I learned so much new stuff last week. I know. I'm ready to see what else I learned this week. About, about Mr. The Weavers. So welcome to part two of Meet the Weavers. This episode um, is going to focus on... Um, the son of remember if you, so if you haven't listened to part one of meet the weavers, I suggest you go do that. It has a lot of background, um, and just important information about, uh, you know, Ward Weaver Jr. Who was an asshole and surprise, surprise, his son, Ward Francis Weaver, the third is also has a touch of the asshole in him. Touch of the asshole touch of the asshole that sounds really that sounds really weird that does sound weird let's not dwell on that let's move on (laughs) touch of the asshole okay um I'm, I'm, you know, I'm still stuck on the fact that we don't know anything about senior. And so I want you to know that I went back last week and I tried to look more stuff up on um, Ward Weaver Sr. And Mm -hmm. really not much other than he was just abusive to his children and abusive to his wife. And and yeah, I'm sure there's other things that happen, but I don't know. I mean. Honestly, he could be the one that started the whole cycle and he was just a messed up fucker himself. I mean, and this could go back generations and generations. We don't know what the right. what his father and his father and his father. And so that's what I'm yeah. saying is I wish we knew more about him and his upbringing because it has to start somewhere. Yeah. And I don't I doubt it started with senior. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Someone look into that for me because I feel like I've done so much on this family. I want to be done with the Weavers. And unfortunately, after part two, we are still not not done. There is part three because like I was telling you before, this is a generational problem. This is a great case for we should not have this family reproduce any longer. But I'm sure there's people in this family that haven't done horrible things. And there are. Um, not a lot, but there are. So Ward Francis Weaver was the first child of Ward Weaver Jr. from part one and Trisha. They had Ward and they also had two other daughters. He was born in Humboldt County on April 6, 1963. Now, like I mentioned in part one, shortly after Ward was born, Trish left uh, the father, little Pete or Ward Jr., And the three children, Ward and his two younger sisters, they would see his father here and there, but it wasn't anything consistent. Kenny, I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. My memory is so bad. Mm -hmm. What state was this again? California. California. Okay. Yes. Trish described Ward when he was younger as a happy yet intrepid boy. And there's a couple of stories that she kind of 
mentions um, in various articles that one time when he was four years old, he had fallen out of a second story window and he was crying because he was scared, obviously, probably hurt himself a little bit. And that's a normal. Reaction. Exactly. And to calm Ward uh, Jr., she gave him a dollar and that immediately calmed him. But then she caught him trying to go out the window again a short time later to fall again for another Got dollar. A little grifter. Yeah, for another dollar. He wanted another yeah. dollar. So he's like, oh, I fall. That was scary, but I got a dollar. Let's do it again. Yeah, he knows the yeah, game. Yeah, totally knows the game. Smart yeah. Um, Trish remarried uh, shortly after leaving uh, Ward's father, and she married this guy named Bob Boudreaux. And she met him at a hotel bar in Eureka, California. And this guy was already very well known in town. He was very large and I quote, powerfully built man. Like, so he was just this big six foot two, just presence of a man. He- Yeah, big stocky. Exactly. Um, looks like he can mess you up without even- breaking it exactly and he can i mean he was a raging alcoholic and he was just known in town as a bar uh brawler so this guy i think was always looking for a fight and then you get a couple of drinks in him and then that just multiplies by a hundred right so he drank heavily he was abusive no surprise there um he beat the children, Ward and his sisters, all the time with a belt. He had two more children with Trish. So once Trish married Bob, they had two more children and they were both boys. And um, Trish was kind of like that peacekeeper, right? Even though Bob was like so chaotic and so abusive and such an alcoholic, she would tr- she would often try to keep the peace at home by, she was one of those women that like tried to soften things like, oh, he's, he's just, you know, really tired. Oh, that's just it. He works so hard. He works so hard. He deserves to have a drink at the end of the day. And so Trish was often cleaning up Bob's messes and she actually would uh, often make a bed in the back of the car for all of the kids so that she could drive around at night picking up Bob from these random bars because he would get in fights and he would get kicked out. Um, He would become belligerent. So like most of her nights when she wasn't taking care of the kids and working, she was driving around town picking up her husband from these bars because he just couldn't control himself. That is such dedication though. Do you... So sad. Maybe maybe it's not our place to speculate, but do you think that was out of love or out of fear? Ugh, I think probably I I would assume she had to have loved him to uh to do that. Because if you think about it, this is her second husband, right? She mm-hmm. has three other kids, two kids with him. So total of five kids. I think she's just trying to have that family. You know, and maybe not fail, not fail at this marriage and and that she loved him, too. I can see it because what year was this? This was in the late 60s. Okay, yeah, definitely that um, 
that fits in with the general attitude of the time. So this makes sense. Yeah. And I feel like even though Bob, from what I've read, I feel like even though Bob was very uh, volatile and just like uh, could become unhinged in a second, he also sounds like he worked really hard for his family too, if that makes sense. Like it, he he was trying to work and trying to earn a living but then i think okay. at the end of the day it was just i think that uh, it was alcoholism right it's a disease so he just some people just cannot drink. yeah exactly so in 1970 uh, the whole family relocated to bend because bob got a longshoreman job over there and they lived in subsidized housing and money was just really tight. Uh, Trish had to work overtime, not only to pay bills, but to uh, pay off tabs at the local bars that Bob would just forever run up. Like that was his MO too. He would just open up a tab and then just keep it going, keep it going. And then never could pay them. So Trish, another thing that she was doing when she was driving around trying to get pick up her husband from these bars is she was also going in and paying his tabs. And so she had to work overtime in order just to do that, to keep their family afloat. Oh, that is so hard. I know. Um, so money was super tight for the family all the time at Christmas. Uh, the children really only got things they needed. Not, it was never anything that they wanted. It was just like underwear and socks, just Mm -hmm. things that the kids needed. In 1975, Bob actually took Ward, who was 12 at the time, with him on a job to Sacramento. So Trish is like, he's like, I'll just take Ward with me. And Trish is like, all right. And basically what ended up happening is he would leave Ward in a hotel room for days while he went to bars. And the reason Trish found this out is because another dock worker, and I guess that what he was there doing, working on a dock and a a longshoreman job again, um, called Trish and was like, listen, um, he's here and he is working, but he's basically gone all day and then he's gone all night at the bars and the kid is just at the hotel all by himself. Why did he want to bring Ward with him? I never figured that out. I just, this was just something that came up that um, Trish actually attributes to. The reason why this story comes up is because she feels that once Ward came back from that trip with Bob, he was completely changed. So before that, he was this happy, curious child. And then at around 12 years old, after he went on that trip with Bob and was essentially just abandoned while Bob just worked and then went to bars, he, he was, he changed. Like something in Ward changed is what the mom noticed. Um, when Trish found out that he, that Bob was not doing what he was supposed to be doing and leaving Ward just by himself there in hotel rooms, uh, she demanded that her husband come home. And so he did come back and he came back with Ward and she just feels like something triggered Ward's rage there. That's like kind of the pivotal moment that she always goes back to. And she even says that she thinks Ward hated her 
as well from that moment on. So there was just, oh, that is so yeah. Hard. So I don't know what else happened out there. Yeah. You know, um, I think for a 12 year old being left alone in a hotel room, probably for the first couple of days is like, all right, I, I could see getting really mad, but, um, but I don't know the, something was triggered within ward there. Um, yeah, there's gotta be something else that happened. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we could only speculate, right? We weren't there. We don't know. Um, so shortly after that, the family moved to Portland, Oregon, and it's from here on out that we start that Trish and the rest of the family experiences and notices Ward's rage and just his the violence that he had in him. So Rob um, Boudreaux Jr. was Ward's half-brother, and he was nine years younger than Ward, and he was actually one of Ward's earliest victims of violence. He would make um, Rob Jr. stand up against a tree and he would wrap a dog chain around um, Rob and the tree. What? Yeah, and leave him there for hours, okay? Which if some of this sounds familiar to what his biological father, Ward Jr. did, you won't, it's very similar. As a matter of fact... There are a lot of similarities that happen between what you heard in part one and this one that it's it's crazy. That is so weird because um, Papa Ward was doing it to his sister, right? Mm hmm. That is so weird that now his son is doing it to his brother. Yeah, his half brother. And um, he would also hold Rob's face against the neighbor's chain link fence like like kind of smash his face in the chain link fence and I guess the neighbor Mm -hmm. had these kind of just like big just barky dogs right and he would laugh because the dogs would run up to the chain link fence and like bark right in Rob's face as it was smushed against the chain link fence and so Ward would just hold his little brother's face there and laugh as the dogs are just like barking and and just yapping at his face. Yeah, and I'm assuming these are big yeah. dogs. It's not like a, a chihuahua. Yeah. It's probably like a Rottweiler exactly. or something exactly. like that. Exactly, just a big dog that would intimidate a little kid, right? Especially when someone's smashing your face into the fence. And they're literally right in front of you. Like, yeah, exactly. Inches from your face. Exactly. He would frequently beat Rob and the way... Later, you hear from Rob in some articles and he and, you know, he's um, talking about this violence that he experienced with his older brother. And he said the way that I would um, I would cope is I would just start to hold my breath until I blacked out. And then he felt like blacking out was like his um, his release you know, like, that is so like sad. he would just black out a little and not have to be there for what was happening to him. That's horrible. Isn't that awful? So Tammy Weaver, Ward's youngest sister, also experienced violence uh, with her older brother. And she actually, uh, like, 
you don't really hear very much from her because she's cut. She wants to like be away from the Weaver family. She doesn't even want that name. She's cut her ties. I don't. Blame oh yeah, her. she's cut her ties with all but two family members. Remember, so Tammy Weaver is Ward Papa Ward, as you called him. Um, that's his biological daughter as well. Um, the one that he was abusing, yeah, right? Yeah, uh-huh, yep. That not only, Tammy was not only abused by her father, but she was also abused by her grandfather too, if oh, you remember. yeah, man. Yeah, uh-huh, and now her brother. It's so hard to keep all of this straight yeah. because there's so many similar names yeah. and there's so much incest. Exactly. Which is ridiculous yeah. to me. Yeah, but she says that she cannot recall a time in her childhood when Ward wasn't hurting her. And that one story is he took her out in the backyard uh, and would tell her to stand there and turn around and he would just shoot her in the back with his BB gun. What? Yeah, just pelt her in the back. Um, She's actually, she claims to still be in therapy um, just to recover from her childhood alone. So like I said before, Trish just really wanted to give her children a happy life. Uh, when they were living in Bend, she was attending community college to further her education and her career as a legal secretary. So she was always taking, trying to take classes to kind of further that. Um, and she just always tried to like seem upbeat and happy to like overcompensate for the turmoil that the family was always in. It's um, the mentality back then is that if you put on a happy face to the public, nobody knows that anything's wrong. And that's what matters most is the outside opinion of you. You have to look like you have a perfect, happy life. Yeah. And like you have to hide everything that's wrong. Yeah. And so because Trish was always busy, like working or trying to um, help her family, whether it be by going to school or just by trying to cover for her husband around town, um, the children were often unsupervised and they were all basically raised as latchkey kids. So, um, which explains why Ward was able to do all all of this stuff because no one was ever home. Yep. And he was the oldest. He was supposed to be taking care of everyone. Yep. And he wasn't, he was just being an a-hole. So um, when the family moved to Portland, Ward attended Marshall High School, and he was described as like a tall but roly-poly teenager. He loved ACDC. He was actually in the school band. He played trombone in the school band. But at around 15 years old is when Ward started smoking pot. But overall in school, there really isn't anything like you know, unusual to note. He went to school, he uh, did his work, and as a matter of fact, he graduated six months early. So he was he oh. was always on top of his schoolwork. He worked at a local uh, burger place, and he had a bike that he rode to school. So there, so he was kind of like your typical teen. He really wasn't in a lot of trouble in high school, but he was uh, apparently just terrorizing his younger siblings at home. So, I mean, if we talk about this in the scope of like looking at him from like the evolution of his behavior, Uh he wasn't, 
causing any trouble anywhere else no. because he had an outlet everything he needed yeah. yeah he had an outlet at home yeah i guess so he doesn't need to look for a new one because the one at home's not going anywhere yeah i mean that sounds about right um in 1981 of February of 1981, Weaver enlists in the U.S. Navy Reserves. In April of that same year, a relative actually accuses him of rape. Um, Now, it's never said what relative. I am guessing this is like a cousin or something like that, but he's accused of rape. The police interview the female relative. A hearing is actually held... But then the police don't press any charges. Why? I am not sure. I don't know if it's because then the the female relative decided to drop things. But, you know, that's probably why, because I mean, it still happens today, but they would pressure girls to not go through. They probably were saying, you know, like. Did he just make you mad? Like, are you just doing this to get back at him because he made you mad? Like, he didn't actually do anything, right? Well, and then also, too, a report was filed with Multnomah County Juvenile Courts. But he, now remember, he enlisted in the Navy Reserves in um, earlier, like a couple months before that. So two months before that. So since he was going to be shipping out soon, they just kind of felt like, it's not worth it pressing charges. So I'm sure that's what he told her too. Like, listen, Uh, they're like, Oh, it won't even be a problem because he's He's not going to be there soon. Like, let's just forget about this and let's both move on. So Ward's military career was very short lived. He uh, was a cook aboard the USS Coral Sea, which was an aircraft carrier. And that aircraft carrier was actually stationed in the Philippines. And it was there that he met in the Philippines, his first wife, Maria Stout, at a bar. Now, the reason why Ward's military career was short-lived is because between January and April of 1982, he had had reported five unauthorized absences. So after, and this was after he met Maria. So So was he like sneaking off the boat to go spend time Uh with her and just not coming back? Yeah, so five times he just wasn't there. I don't know if it's for roll call or whatever they do. Five times he just wasn't there. So um, they call him in and it says that the, the Navy and Ward basically come to a mutual understanding that the Navy probably is not for him. So in May of 1982, he gets an other than honorable discharge. Okay. So um, so he's discharged and he actually moves back to Portland with Maria. Maria comes with him and they actually live in Trish and Bob's, so his mom and stepdad's unfinished basement for a little bit. Now, Trish and Bob remember that Maria and Ward always constantly were fighting like so much so that even Trish and Bob were like, this is more than we fight and we have a horrible marriage as well. (laughs) So uh, they were just always fighting and Ward actually had, was very controlling, had very strict rules for Maria. He would never let her do anything, never even let her leave the house unescorted. And it wasn't if like she couldn't leave if he wasn't with her. Someone had to be with her at all times. 
Why? Because uh, it's maybe because he knew she was unhappy and she'd run. I for guess it? I don't know. So in July of 1982, at a North Portland hospital, police are called for possible, a possible report of abuse. And it is Maria who is at the hospital, and she is five months pregnant with their first child. And she reports to staffers that ward, who is actually 19 at the time, and Maria's around oh. the same age, slapped her and slammed her head against the bed. And she actually had a visible small lump on her skull from this incident. So the police are called. Ward is arrested on suspicion of aggravated assault. But Maria refuses to press charges. So then that goes away. And in December of that same year, their son, Francis Paul Weaver, is born. This family, all the men catch so many breaks. Oh, so many breaks. So many breaks. So shortly after that, um, Maria and Ward moved to Southern California. And they now have Francis, who's a small child. Their relationship, surprise, surprise, still isn't amazing. Um, it's 1984. And remember, in part one, this is when... Papa Ward is on trial for the capital murder murder of Robert Radford and Barbara Lavoie. I can't remember. Was this the nice couple where the yes. guy was in the military? Yes, where he they and he they were pulled over on the side of the road, and so um, this is when Papa Ward was on. Why do I call him Papa Ward now? It's because you call. I him. think. I think it's just it easier is because to Ward delineate. Yeah. So. Uh, He's on trial for capital murder and Ward Jr. Actually, the reason. Oh, he yeah, moved down he, there, right? Because he wanted to, he had hopes of reconnecting with his father. Um, so he did visit his father several times while he was in jail awaiting trial. And then um, in August, a few months before the actual trial begins, Maria and Ward get married. And then they also soon after that have another son named Alex. Unfortunately, the second child didn't improve the marriage because the couple continued to fight all the time, so much so that now authorities were often intervening because, um, you know, there would be complaints, the police would come, they deemed it was dangerous for the children to be there, so they were removed from the home. Maria was on welfare at this point. Weaver couldn't even hold down a job. So all of this was happening during um, in Bakersfield while they were living there, while Papa Ward was on trial. This is a very steep decline, oh, yeah. like very yeah, fast. Yeah, and I don't know, too, if the birth of his first son, if that's why he felt he wanted to go reconnect with his dad now that his dad was on trial. I don't know if being around all of that um, was damaging in some way or or hearing the deed because he did attend the trial a couple of times too that I read so he he was in court during his dad's trial and you know his dad did some pretty horrendous things to a lot of women does it say anywhere did he think his dad was innocent 
Um, no. Or was he just there for moral support? He was there for moral support, but during the sentencing stages of Papa Ward's, um, you know, trial, he, nobody asked Ward to come be a character witness, um, probably for obvious reasons. And Ward's Uh like, I wish someone would have asked me to speak because I would have just talked about what a great and loving father he is and what a great dad he is. But... I think Ward's forgetting that his dad left him and his sisters or, well, his mom left Papa Ward with his sisters, but it's not like Papa Ward came down to saw them consistently, you know? Yeah. He would visit his children every once in a while or pick them up every once in a while, but he wasn't really like raising them. It was Bob and Trish that were raising him. So I don't know. Anyways, um, then in 1986, uh, around Father's Day, Ward and Maria are now staying with the um, Ordana family in Fairfield, California. So the the Ordanas um, had a family business selling Filipino products. So at markets um, or different places like that, and they liked Ward at first because whenever they were selling, whenever they were setting up for farmers markets and stuff like that, Ward would just offer his help unloading stuff out of their van and helping them set up. So they decided, you know what? They don't really have a stable place to live. Let's invite um, Maria and Ward to stay at our house till they can get back on their feet. Now, that was probably the worst decision. It of their was lives. the worst decision of their lives because they realized this couple was trouble from the start. Again, they fought all the time. Ward would drink. Maria would lose her patience with the kids and hit them. Now, the Ordanas had two daughters, Jennifer, who was 16 at the time, and the younger sister, Jocelyn, who I believe was 13 or 14. After a huge fight one night with Maria, who was now pregnant with child number three, okay, Ward went on a bender. And apparently he had six beers, six vodka screwdrivers, weed, and a little bit of a speed. Oh, just Just a little bit. Just a little speed. Just a little speed. I'm sure that just like helped take the edge off. Uh, So he was obviously out of his mind, intoxicated, and he was outside of this, um, this bowling alley in Fairfield. And he needed a ride home. So he called the Ordana family and... Now, again, I have to remind myself that this is the 80s, so it's it's not like today because I don't think I would allow this, but the Ordanas sent Jennifer and the younger sister, Jocelyn, in the family van to go pick them up. Oh, no. So they go pick them up, um, and he gets in the van, and then a few minutes later, Ward says that he needs to pee, so they pull over. And Ward open, goes out and opens the passenger side of the door where Jocelyn, the younger, younger sister, was sitting and mm-hmm. has a chunk of concrete. I don't know where he got it from, but from walking what? from the back of the van to the passenger side and puts Jocelyn in a headlock and just strikes her on the head with the concrete block. What? Yeah. 
So just basically assaulting her. Then he reaches over her. She's slumped over because she's just been struck in the head with a concrete. Yeah, he just knocked yeah. her out. And then he grabs Jennifer from the driver's side, pulls her down to the floor. But Jennifer luckily fights her way out of it. She manages to get away. She flags down the nearest person on the street. The police are caught are called they obviously arrest ward and obviously thankfully the family presses charges Good. and ward was sentenced to three years in prison for that incident so for the assault three on years. the girls yes for attacking two young for girls. attacking two young girls um he was uh, serving, he went in to serve his sentence just before his third child was born. By the way, his third child is a daughter um, who they named Mallory. In 1988, in January, Ward is released. He goes back to Maria because that's working so well. And um, they move to Canby, Oregon. So they're in Canby, and they open up a gift shop, but that soon closes after. I think there was some shady shit going on there. Maria and Ward, you know, like, tried to run this business, but I don't think... I, I think bad decisions were made, and it just closes soon after that. Uh, okay. Ward also begins selling cocaine and meth, because that's always a good idea, too. <laughs> If you really want to, like, break the cycle, break the chains that are holding you down, sell a little cocaine and meth. Um, okay. So police were frequent visitors to the ward house for uh, drugs and domestic violence. Eventually, they were uh, evicted from their mobile park home that they were living in because of all the police activity, because of all the complaints. And then in 1993, shocker to everyone... It is the end of his marriage with uh, Maria. Maria files a restraining order. But she got herself out. Uh, that's which true. Is so lucky. That's true. So not lucky. I mean, that's hard to get herself mm -hmm. out. But like she got herself out. Yes. So Maria. Does she stay out? She does stay out, thankfully. Oh, so, good. Yeah. 93. Maria's like, I'm done. And they get a divorce. Well, shortly after that, Ward, because he is a prize, has a brand new girlfriend. Her name is Christy Sloan, and she is a fresh graduate from Marshall High School. So, oh so there, it's an alumni, right? How old is he? Uh, at this point, I think he is in his early twenties, and she is eighteen. So he is in he's in his mid twenties. And she's These 18 people years old. have full lives. I didn't, oh, I'm I sorry. So much older. Ward is now 31, and Christy okay, is 18. That, yes. Okay, that makes more sense. Yes. To me. I was like, how is he only in his early 20s? <laughs> no, yeah. So he's 31, and Christy okay. is 18. And a friend set them up, and they went and they saw Jurassic Park, and that's just Christy was like, I'm sold. This is what a horrible friend. This is a man, the man for me. Unfortunately, Ward's charm, whatever charm he had, wore off quickly because uh -huh. Sloane um, or Sloane began to witness uh, him abuse his children. And she didn't like the fact that he was super controlling. Like she couldn't cut her hair. She couldn't go out with him. She couldn't get bangs. He was just like, just super controlling. 
Um, there was one incident where he actually beat her with a cast iron skillet in their Portland apartment. Oh. And she kept screaming, but he wouldn't stop. She even said that she remembers screaming, but she felt that her screaming was making him hit harder. So she, maybe to make her shut yeah, up. Yeah. So she just like kind of stopped screaming. Oh my God. And a neighbor didn't call the cops? Well, she claims that while he's beating her with this skillet, iron skillet, that he just seemed possessed. Like she said, there was his eyes just looked blank. And, and I just felt like he was possessed. Uh, yeah, I'm sure neighbors heard the screams because police were called and Weaver was jailed right after that. But unfortunately, what do you think happens? Charges got dropped and he got away with it again? Yep, the charges were dropped in September when Sloan told prosecutors that she was too scared to testify against him. Okay, but couldn't they move forward without her testimony? I don't know. But even though in September she was too scared to testify against him, she wasn't too scared in October to get back together with him because oh that's what she did. And then in February of 96, they got married. Okay. Yeah. Sloan. Yeah. I don't Choices. want to. Choices. No, I don't yes. want to either. And it it's the cycle of domestic violence yeah. that... They're just very good at getting you to come back. Yeah. So then in 97, Weaver and Sloan and all three of his children moved in together. And so they were all living together. I'm not sure where Maria is. I don't know if she's seeing the children at this point, but they're with Ward for some reason. Um, I mean, she has a restraining order. So. Yeah. Things are going well for like a year, though. They actually have like family game nights and family movie nights. And Sloan and the children say that he's actually a pretty affectionate, fun dad. Huh. Unfortunately, though, Ward can't keep it in his pants and he ends up having an affair with a data entry clerk at his work. And Sloan said, I'm done. So that was the end of uh, Ward and Sloan. OK, so that's two failed marriages. So two failed marriages under his belt, which apparently the data entry clerk, her name was Tammy Place. She doesn't mind because they become a couple right away after that. Um, okay. And Ward and Tammy, even though they fought a lot and they were off and on for five for five years, they moved to Oregon City and they rent a house, a small little house on Beaver Creek Road, um, and they rent it out for six hundred a month, which in today's market would not fly. So he lives there with um, Tammy and Francis, who is sixteen at this time. And Mallory, who is around 10. And I think Alex is with mom, is with Maria. Okay. His youngest daughter, Mallory, attends Gardner Middle School there in Oregon City. She's on the dance team. She has friends. Um, she has a lot of friends, actually. And they and like Ward's house is apparently the place to be for all of these sleepovers. I don't like that. Uh, you're not going to like it for... 
for the rest of the episode. Um, so two regulars that spent the night at the house were Ashley Pond and Miranda Gaddis. Uh, they also attended Gardner Middle School and they were friends with Mallory, so they were there all the time. Both girls lived nearby at the Newell Creek Village Apartments there in Oregon City. Now, Ashley Pond, one of the girls, she already had a really rough home life. Her biological father was actually indicted on 40 counts of raping and sexually abusing her for four years. Wow. So, 40 like four zero. Yes, 40 counts. Wow. While that was going on, she had reported to a friend that two other men were molesting her. In spring of 2001, a teacher reported to the principal that she had witnessed, because we Ward would like take the girls to school sometimes. Mm -hmm. And in 2001, a teacher witnessed that Ward kissed Ashley on the lips when he dropped her off. And that mm. was reported to the principal. This, her name, Ashley Pond, sounds really familiar. Yes. I wonder if maybe I've heard this part I, of the story. I think you've heard this part. This was a huge, huge case. And then in June and July of that following year, Ashley actually joined Ward and Tammy. And Tammy, by the way, had a daughter that lived with them as well. And Mallory on a two-week trip to California. And then when they returned, Ashley actually started living at the Ward house. For I I'm don't not like it. Ashley has a mom who seems pretty like fine, but I guess things were already really rough that she I don't know, it was a good idea for her to stay there. I don't know if this had anything to do with things happening with her biological father, but possibly yeah. uh, I don't know. Then in 2001, early August, Ashley actually accused Ward of molesting and attempting to rape her. So she left the Weaver house and she moved back in with her mom in the Newell Creek apartments. Okay. Now she confided in a reading teacher at her school that Ward told her, you cannot tell anybody about this because if you do, I'm going to testify against you at your father's rape trial that you're a liar, that you, you are accusing me of this and your father didn't even rape you either. Oh, no. So, and here she is. She's just a seventh grader, right? And yeah. she doesn't know the ins and outs of the law. And, you know, she already has a rough life. So I can't imagine what she was thinking at that time, too. Right. Right. And here's this big adult man who's telling you uh, he's going to call you a liar mm -hmm. and no one's going to believe you. Your dad's going to get off, too, because, you know, all of right, this stuff. Who were, like, who am I a little in seventh grade? You're what, 12 or 13? Yeah, 12. Yeah. I, you're a 12 year old yeah. with this man telling you like he's going to make it so no one believes you. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the Clackamas County deputy DA at the time did report the abuse to the child abuse hotline on August 31st. And then it was actually that report was sent to child welfare on September 5th. But 
the claim was not immediately investigated by police. Why? Nobody knows why. And this becomes a thing later on after after everything. I wonder, did did it just slip through the cracks? Like, do you think this was an accident? I think it was a, another case of an overworked system, right? Oh. And I think... They were probably like, well, we're already working on one thing with this yeah, girl. Yeah, uh-huh. Exactly. Uh. Then on September 6th, her father's 40 counts were dropped. He Why? pleaded no contest to attempted unlawful sexual penetration and then was sentenced to 120 months probation. So I think the 40 counts were dropped in a plea deal, right? Uh. Because he then pleaded no contest. So I'm sure. Sh- but I don't know. A no contest plea isn't an admission of guilt. Oh, well then I guess he the 40 counts were dropped but then he pleaded no contest to it, to the other charge of attempted unlawful sexual penetration. Uh, okay. So he was sentenced to 120 months probation. Yeah, not even serving time. No. After this, things actually did seem to improve and stabilize as far as just like drama in her life for Ashley. Um, case, the caseworker was still reporting that child welfare was still getting calls about Ashley and things she was trying to report. And then in, during Christmas of, uh, 2001, Ashley actually told several family members that she was afraid of Ward. And at this time she really isn't having any contact with Ward or with Mallory. I mean, I wouldn't. No, I'd stop talking to my friend. Do anything to keep me out of that house because exactly. I I feel like she probably didn't tell Mallory what was going on. Yeah, but you also don't want to stay friends with her because she's gonna be like, well, why do you never want to come to my house anymore? Well, especially and- when your dad is Ward Weaver. Hmm. Yeah. So January ninth, two thousand two, Ashley again, who's only twelve years old disappears on her way to the school bus. Oh, no. Her mom, Lori Pond, said that the bus stop was only 10 minutes away from their Newell Creek apartments. And she said that the last time she saw Ashley was just after 8 a.m. And Ashley was running late to school, but that she left and she was trying to go catch the bus But Lori finds out later that she never even made it to school. Oh, no. So local police are obviously involved right away. Now, despite Ashley having a very troubled home life and everything kind of that was already happening and her previous history, you know, with authorities and with Mm -hmm. um, with child welfare services, um, people were pretty you know, certain that Ashley wasn't a runaway. Like she was actually a popular student at school who was involved in a lot of activities, namely the dance team. And so for days, there were zero leads or clues, but everybody was looking for Ashley. And I mean, everybody, the whole town, posters went up right away. And although local police quietly honed in on Ward, Right Mm -hmm. away, he was never an official suspect. Speaking of Ward, he actually was a very super helpful asshole during this whole thing. (laughs) 
Now, remember I told you about that house that Ward is renting near the Newell Creek Apartments where Ashley lives? Yes. That is actually conveniently located right by the bus stop that Ashley would go to in the mornings to catch her bus. So they interview Ward and Mallory, his daughter, who also waits at that bus stop, right, to Mm -hmm. go to school the next day. And Mallory and Ward say they did not see her that morning. Um, Mallory is very worried and concerned for her friend. Um, Ward claims to feel sorry for Ashley. Uh, he even tells the reporter, you know, I try and, and the police, I tried to help her as much as I could, like trying to oh, seem did. like this, oh my God. this like caring citizen and father. He's like, but I gave up on her when she accused me of touching her. And then he basically says, you know, that was it for me. Then I just cut ties with her. Um, now, when I say Ward was a super helpful asshole, Ward did a ton of interviews. Anyone that asked him to do an interview, he would do. He was like super hot and bothered just to even get on camera all the time. Why? Well, you know, find out. I feel out. like this is great for the police though. Oh they're yeah. Like, yeah. They're, they're watching. Talking. Yeah. They're probably watching him going, what a, a douchebag. I like this idiot. Yeah. On January 19th, the Clackamas County Sheriff actually got permission from Ward to search his property, around his property, with a dog, like a search dog. But And so Ward's like, yeah, you can search around my property with a dog. But then they said, okay, can we come inside your house? And Ward is like, no, I don't want you coming inside my house, but you can go around the property. So the police are kind they they can't really get a warrant for inside his house yet. So they're like, whatever. Then on March 8th, 2002, two months, this is two months after Ashley disappears, another 13-year-old disappears on the way to the bus stop. Was it another one of Mallory's friends? Miranda Gaddis. Yes. One of the regulars that would spend the night. Miranda was a spunky girl who loved dance and wear, and she loved wearing glitter, um, is one of the quotes about Miranda from a, an article. Um, as a matter of fact, she's Ashley's good friend. And she unfortunately also has a very sad and troubled background. Um, Her father was convicted of kidnapping and sexually assaulting two minors when Miranda was younger. And actually, when the police came to arrest Miranda's dad for the sexual assault and kidnapping, he actually used Miranda as a hostage. What? When the police came. Yeah, and threatened to harm Miranda if the police arrested him or got to him or whatever. Thanks, Dad. Exactly. But again, this was same school, same apartment complex, same circumstances. Her mom mm-hmm. left for work 30 minutes before Miranda, and Miranda was supposed to get on the bus, but she never saw her again. It was actually Miranda's older sister, Mariah, who was also a student at the middle school that Mm -hmm. called her mom in the middle of the day and was like, Miranda's not here at school. Did they not walk to the bus stop together? I guess not. I guess Mariah, because Mariah was older. Maybe she got a ride from a friend. I don't know. Huh. Okay. Now I can say this was before... And uh, 
especially in the Oregon City School District, now in most school districts and in Oregon City School District, um, if you are marked absent, like from, so let, let's say your first period is homeroom or something equivalent to that. And you're absent. They call home. They call home right away. It's an automatic system that mm -hmm. is, that go, like you're marked absent, you're called home. Back then, um, it wasn't an automated system. And I think it was the school secretaries that would start calling or an attendance secretary that would start calling if you weren't there. And they start going through the list in the order they receive it. So it's Okay. Yes, correct. But that was not the case. That wasn't happening in the early 2000s. So that was implemented after. So it's not like Ashley or Miranda's mom was notified in the morning oh, of that, that their kid didn't make it to school. That's it was so crazy. after the fact. Yeah. Because I think I think I'm the same age as these girls. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to remember. How old were you? How old were you in 2003? I'm trying yeah. to remember. Uh, I would have been 11. Yeah. So you were around the same age. Yeah. Yep. And I remember, um, man, I must've had a well-funded school growing up because yeah. we had an automated phone call even when I was in elementary school. Really? I don't think they had the automated phone call yet because, or if they did, it wasn't happening until the end of the day. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly. All I know is that now, as soon as you're marked absent, I mean, I think it hits like, you know, if you, if a kid starts school at 830, um, like by 9 a.m., if you're marked absent, yeah, the call is going out, right? So anyways, Miranda is gone. And actually, um, this was in March. March 8th, 2002. And Miranda actually spent the night at Mallory's house on February 23rd for her birthday. So she was last at the ward house with Mallory um, on in February. Um, so just gosh, a couple weeks before she she went missing. Wow. So now the FBI are involved, right? And yeah. the investigation goes into overdrive. Now, right away, the FBI is like, okay, the girls had to have known whoever took them. Uh -huh. And this person is targeting the same type of girl. And they also, the FBI thinks that whoever took the girls is, knows their routine, right? knows these girls, knows what they do, know it, knows their routine. Right. So as things are ramping up in the investigation, all eyes are on Ward. As they um, should be. As they should be. The case gains a lot of media coverage, not only locally, but around the world. And I'm talking the New York Times, BBC, Unsolved Mysteries did an episode on the girls when they were missing. Like the case is all over the place. And I hate to say it, but it's because they were two Caucasian young girls missing from a small town. Uh, there, yeah, it, it was a high-profile case at the time. Um, now, because of this, Ward was getting a lot of attention, and he loved it. Uh, rumors were already swirling locally in the small town of Oregon City, and people already had their suspicions that it was him. Was he just too stupid to realize that all this attention is not a good thing? 
no, because I think what he wanted all this attention for was to talk about how great he was. Ugh. And I also think he felt he could outsmart everybody. Well, just by thinking that you know that you're an idiot. Exactly. Exactly. So he even took voluntarily took two polygraphs, which he did not pass either one. <laughs> but as we know, those aren't even those don't really matter. They're no, not but admissible I'm just like hearing it. Yeah. That he failed the polygraph. Um, he actually invited television crews into his home to declare his innocence all the time. And he just liked talking about how he was a victim he, of a smear campaign by the authorities. And he felt that people were just trying to make a father-son connection here because his Come father... Exactly, because his father was so bad, they're trying to make him uh, horrible. In July, KATU news reporter Anna Song, she was following this case from the very beginning. Ward actually gave her a tour of his home. And in his home, he's just walking around. She's following him with the camera. He's describing with just great enthusiasm and detail, like all of the sleepovers the girls would have there, just reminiscing about when Ashley and Miranda. Just giving all this evidence about yes. how well he knows the girls. Uh huh. Oh, the how... girls would have sleepovers oh. here all the time. And I would hear constant laughs laughter and giggling and he then he even says this and I quote you could not walk anywhere in my front room without stepping on a body what yeah <laughs> yeah that, that's I'm, a I'm, weird I'm, way to put it <laughs> exactly and Anna song is like mm -hmm. he also gives a tour of the backyard um, in July a reporter for the or Oregonian came over as well Ward gave an interview to that person. Let me ask, and I might be ruining the story. Uh -huh. Was he showing them actual places that things happen because he was so cocky that he didn't think anyone would catch him? Mm. Just wait. Ugh. <laughs> so the Oregonian, the reporter for the owner Oregonian is there and he's like, hey, Ward, uh, what? that's a, that's, that's a nice concrete slab you have <laughs> freshly freshly poured in your backyard. What's, Man, look at the craftsmanship yeah. on that brand new slab. Yeah, what's that all about? And Ward laughs it off and he's like, I'm putting a jacuzzi in. The last time I checked, there wasn't a law against that. And then they have a nice little chuckle and the interview moves on. Uh, Ward even goes on Good Morning America and it's around this time where Ashley's mother, Lori Pond, and she, by the way, is one of the people that was like, he did it. He did it. He took Ashley. She uh -huh. was adamant about it. Um, it was around after that Oregonian article came out. Uh, she had a sign, a big sign made, and she stuck it right next to Ward's property with the big words, dig me up with an arrow pointed to his backyard. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she. I she like was, her. Yeah. August 13th, 2002 at 5 p.m. A 19 year old woman is found running and screaming down the street on South Beaver Creek Road by the Payless Shoes Source with nothing but a blue tarp on. And she's screaming, she's trying to wave down motorists. 
This girl happens to be Francis Weaver's girlfriend. Remember, Francis Weaver is Ward Weaver's son uh-huh. who lives with him. She tells the police that Ward Weaver raped her and tried to kill her a few minutes prior to that. Oh, my God. As a matter of fact, Francis Weaver calls 911 as well after his girlfriend leaves screaming from the house to report the rape as well. And he tells the dispatchers that his father has also confessed to him that he's killed Ashley and Miranda. Uh, When did he confess? I have no idea. So Weaver, that's all they need. Weaver is now in custody and they have him on attempted rape of his son's girlfriend. The FBI right away secures the one acre property with a chain link fence. And then they begin right away searching with cadaver dogs and earth penetrating radar. Excellent. um, In the backyard. Uh, August 24th and 25th, they find and confirm um, Ashley's remains under the concrete slab. So he had placed her in a barrel, buried her in the backyard, and covered it with a concrete slab. Which, if you remember, Papa Weaver mm-hmm. put up. Uh, his was a wooden deck, wasn't it? Yeah, he put a little wooden deck on top. At least he was smart enough, I guess, to do that. But yeah, same thing. And then shortly after that, they were able to find Miranda's body in the tool shed in an old microwave box. Now, I didn't mention this before, but uh, during the home tour that he gave Anna Song, the reporter from the local news, Uh um, it, it is a very famous news interview. I have a still shot of it in the Instagram pictures. Um, but it is a very famous interview because he takes her through the house and as he's walking through the house, you see this big white chest freezer Uh that he, that he keeps glancing at. He even like taps the top of it. Was she in there? He had kept Miranda in the freezer because he hadn't buried her yet. He hadn't put the body anywhere yet. Oh my God. And she was in that freezer. When Miranda was, when, uh, sorry, the reporter was doing the the tour. Oh my God. Yeah. And then he goes out in the backyard and he's walking across the concrete slab and then just like standing there giving the rest of the interview on top of the concrete slab. Oh, you know he's doing that on purpose. Oh yeah. 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 God. How sick is that? Yeah. How disgusting. And he's standing next to the freezer and like tapping the top of it while he's mm-hmm. talking to the reporter. Oh mm-hmm. my God. Thinking he's so smart. I, that, oh gosh, that guy. Um, he's indicted and charged with six counts of aggravated murder, two counts of abuse of a corpse in the second degree, mm-hmm. one count of sexual abuse in the first degree, One count of attempted rape in the second degree, one count of aggravated murder, one count of first degree attempted rape, one count of sexual abuse in the first degree, one count of sexual abuse in the second degree, and two counts of sexual abuse in the third degree. Wow. Later in 2002, uh, Oregon Governor John Kitzhopper 
launched a multi-agency investigation into the handling of the first report of Weaver's abuse of Ashley Pond. Good. So that be that became a big thing. Like people wanted to know. She said he abused her. Why wasn't that followed up? Right. Um, now all of this is going to sound familiar to you too, because just before Weaver's trial is about to start, his defense team claims that he's mentally unfit. So from all he, the drugs, uh, from just being a Weaver, I guess. <laughs> okay. Uh, the or he's evaluated at Oregon State Hospital, psychologist. All these doctors determined that he was fine during the times that he was committing these acts. Uh Um, So since the defense couldn't win that, they decide they want to change a venue because of the media attention. (laughs) Which, if you remember, Pop Award did the same thing. It's probably common, It's a reasonable request. Yes. It makes sense. Although... But actually, the judge agreed with the prosecution who claimed that Weaver intentionally sought out media attention and was the one that turned the investigation into a media circus. So that request of a change of venue, I think, was ultimately denied. Because because he did it to himself. He did it to himself. He's the one that contacted all the media. He gave tours of his home. He invited them into his home. Okay, but at the same time, that makes it harder to get an unbiased jury. Yeah, that would be true. But he did that to himself. I mean, it doesn't matter if you do it to yourself. And what the judge did do is he issued a gag order. So he couldn't talk anymore. No one could really talk about this. So finally, months, months later, the trial begins because I'm sure picking the jury, that process was long because you had to find people that didn't even know. Who are one unbiased in the realm of um, the sexual abuse, but also who didn't know about the case. Yeah. So finally, in September of 2004, Weaver pleaded guilty to two charges and no contest to the rest. Okay. Uh, He did have a plea bargain that allowed him to avoid the death penalty. And he was ultimately sentenced to two life sentences without the possibility of parole. And he is spending now the rest of his life in Two Rivers Correctional Institution in Umatilla. Um, So in the years that followed, uh, Ward's rental house was destroyed. So the guy that owned that property was just like, we're going to just destroy it. Yeah. So they tore down the entire house. It was demolished. It currently is still just an empty lot of just overgrown weeds. Oh, weird. But there is still plans to create some sort of church or memorial or community garden. Or there's been talks of an activity center for youth there. I do know that a a part of a church has bought the property from the original owner. And they're just still currently looking for investors to help create something on that property. But still nothing has has happened on it yet okay and those projects um they can take yeah take a long time years right yeah yeah now remember miranda's older sister mariah uh she has been a very active uh voice 
for her sister. And she actually talked to Ward 10 years after the murder because she wanted closure. Uh And she did an interview after that, after talking to Ward. And he basically told her that the way he got Miranda into his home was that she was walking towards the bus stop. He saw her. And he was outside of the property, I guess, doing something. So then he tells her, uh, hey, Ashley's here. She, she's scared. She wants to come home. Do you want me to help? Do you want to help her get her home? That's horrible. And that's how he got her in the house. He admits to, he admits to Mariah when she went and talked to him that, she, that he killed both girls with his bare hands. And then he told her that she was supposed to be next. Whoa. Yeah. And then I don't think she ever, she ever, uh, ever went back there. I feel like that was not truthful, though. I feel like he's. I don't think that was truthful. I think this guy he said yeah. that as kind of a last, like, horrible just, thing to do to her just to like fuck with her head while she's there and to get his name back in the press probably too yeah and to cause a stir this guy i really feel is just likes to to stir the pot and he loves attention and loves to be talked about uh. now i want you to remember in part one remember what led to papa weaver's demise was his son who led the police to the concrete ba- to the concrete slab in the backyard, right? When the police came to interview him. But that was not Junior. That was... That was a, a different one. That was Raymond. Yes. And right? was that his biological son or was that it his was his stepson? It was his biological okay. son. Yeah, it was his biological son. And in this case, it was Francis. Ward Weaver's son, Francis, who helps the police get the information they need to finally arrest Ward, correct? Now, part three, unfortunately, it doesn't stop. And we have a fart, fart. (laughs) We have a part three, and unfortunately, it is the same person who led his father to basically the police. um, So Francis is is picking up the torch. Francis, if this was a relay, Francis is uh, is handed the baton. The torch. Every time I hear Francis, I think of fucking Francis. In- <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that was part two of Meet the Weavers. Part three will be next week, and you'll hear all about Francis. And shocker, some a cycle is broken because Mallory decides to. Uh, pop in here too so you'll hear from francis and more in part three. Oh wow okay yeah yeah this family's got a lot going i thought my family was crazy <laughs> but okay no uh, yeah huh the, these are the weavers i i completely understand why julie requested this because yeah. this story is it's a lot it's a lot a lot is what it is and that's why it's three parts i like that while this is three parts, it is like three s- distinct stories. Yeah, yeah. And it's so crazy, the similarities between these. And I can't help but wonder if some of that is, 
I think you mentioned at the beginning of part one, the nature versus nurture. This is, yeah. it's so much of both because you know that some of this, there's things in here that uh, if it's not genetic, it's just so coincidental. I, I don't even know. Oh, it has, some of it has to be genetic, has to be. Like, and I don't know if it's like a chemical imbalance or what. Yeah. And the fact that Ward Weaver III, who we talked about today, was removed from the care of his father and he was raised by a stepdad who abused him just as crazy. Correct. Yeah. And then he went on to abuse his siblings, which... I want to know if he knew his dad did those things. Like if his dad told him stories about what he used to do to his sister. I have no idea. All I know is if this isn't a some sort of college credit class in some sort of criminal, you know, like a case study cycle. about the weavers. Yeah, a case that you it would have to be. Oh, this man. is like three credits here. <laughs> so and I didn't even go in depth and I want everyone. So like listeners, if you're really, there's tons of information out there about this case. And um, there's been several books uh, that have been written about this case that I didn't read just because this case spans three generations, yeah. right? And so I just did kind of just like the important details, but there are so many other ones. Oh my God. Okay. So, well, yeah. I am ready to hear about this third generation next week yes so meet the weavers part three next week thank you for listening to part two and have a wonderful night you too or day or morning yeah thanks for listening and thanks for supporting us and we'll see you next week bye bye Kat and I are so grateful for all of our listeners, and we love hearing from you guys. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Alternative Interest Podcast, and let us know your thoughts on this week's case. We want to cover the things that you guys want to hear, so please email us your case suggestions at alternativeinterestpodcast at gmail.com. As always, thank you so much for listening and sharing us with your friends. Be good to each other, and we'll see you next week.